Okay, so I don't know if you know this, but we have had requests for merch. Who has been requesting merch for us? Like, what What do they want? They want, like, a water bottle? What? I love that that's your response to that. And that's... <laughs> That is my favorite. You're like, what do they want? It's like, that's such a New England, that is such a New England response to, that's like a neighbor knocking at your door and you're like, what? What do they want? They have requested t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, uh, and just like the the general merch, the, the swag bag. They want the, They want the gear, bro. So to those folks who have reached out, because now you just found out I'm the social media end. Bobby's the editing and tech end, and I do the social media. So um, when I sign Kyle and Bobby and respond to all your Instagram messages, it is in fact only Kyle um, because I was the one that secretly knew the merch had been requested. Um, Bobby is slaving away editing, uh, killing it, making the podcast sound good. So uh, I'm doing the fun end where I log into Instagram and talk to you all. To the to the people that have been listening to our our loyal day one supporters who have requested merch, we are working on it. So you're hearing this pretty soon after it had been requested. So we're starting the process. It's going to take a little bit of time for us to make sure we get it right. We don't want to give you something that's not worth your time or your money. So give us a little bit, but we will update you as soon as we we are merch ready, <laughs> which I think for Bobby and I is still the funniest part of this podcast that you've asked for merch. Um, so we're going to get it to you. <laughs> Go ahead. You got something you want to say about it. Go ahead. I mean, listen, it's, I mean, it's possible, right? We can make merch. We can do it. It's possible. So yeah, that's our merch conversation. Stay tuned and then uh, get ready to get swagged out in all of our gear. It should also be noted that we've switched to new tech that we're using to record, uh, which is now going to be giving us video as well. That's right. It's possible this is the first time you're going to see us. Yeah, this is this is a, a whole new realm. One of the things that kind of maybe made us take a little bit longer is when we were trying to figure out how to record better and and properly. Uh, so we've now got overhead that we that we will be paying out every month, which is you know, <laughs> it is what it is. But on the on the plus side, there there might be you know YouTube, Instagram sort of content coming that now have that now has video that accompanies it. So that's right. Yeah, we're growing up and uh, you know, there's there'll be some fun different ways to sort of interact with us. Um, we've had some requests about that stuff too. So this will be a fun way for us to branch out and do that. And uh, to anyone who's seeing us for the first time, I wonder how how sexy we sounded, Bobby, because now they're going to see and and he's nodding his head, he's shaking. Uh, I'm so sorry for everyone that has to see us for the first time. We we know we know. We knew. We wake up every day in these bodies. But you maybe thought we were two hunks. Now you find out we're two lunks. I mean, we've revealed that we spent our time watching Loki and eating kachapas together. So you had, there were breadcrumbs. Literally, wherever we walk, we leave breadcrumbs. <laughs> that was, that was, that's a great way to, that was good, man. That was pretty good. Everywhere we go, we leave breadcrumbs, which might actually technically in some way be true. And that's sad. But that's for us to deal with. You ready? I am ready. Are you, the question is, are you ready? Because it's your episode. I'm ready to go down the rabbit hole. This is the this is the rabbit hole. Are you ready to go down the rabbit hole? Where are you taking me, Kyle? Where are you taking us as we go on this journey? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to I Mean It's Possible. Today, I'm going to straight up ask my co-host, do you believe the world is round, bro? Seriously, bro. Is the world round, bro? Do you really believe that, bro? Did you buy that? This is the first ever five-minute episode of I Mean It's Possible. You can wrap it up right now. Taking an L today. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm going to be taking an L home, um, and we're just going to have to, we're on to Cincinnati, okay? We're on to Cincinnati. We lost, and we're on to Cincinnati. Um, a lot like when I had the Denver airport, and I admitted to you, you, Bobby, and everyone out in podcast land up front that I knew I was going to take an L. I know I'm taking an L today, okay? And I want to also be clear, I deserve to take an L for drafting this topic, <laughs> for having the unmitigated gall to even make this episode. <laughs> And for just even believing there was a possibility that anybody with anything above a third grade education would even (laughs) entertain this. And I don't care if you're listening out there and you are a flat earther. This isn't going to be fun for you, but we're going to have fun, Bobby and I, okay? So yeah, this is the flat earth episode. (laughs) I know. We're going to do it though. We're going to do it. We're going to do it like we did the Denver airport, which is that I'm not going to try to convince you of something that I find laughable. I'm going to give you their case and we're going to talk about it Yeah, for a bunch of reasons. One, because, oh my God, when we used to, we, we sometimes throw around the phrase meat on the bone, brother, <laughs> if there is meat on this bone, it's rotten. So <laughs> I mean, we're going to try it. We're going to do it. Okay. So I'm going to jump in to the flat earth pool. Uh, tepid and filthy though it is, and needing uh, an intense chlorine shock. I'm going to jump into the pool with a basic description of where the flat earth theory begins, okay? So the flat earth can mostly be broken up into two time periods. There is the older flat earth, which lays the groundwork, and then there's the modern flat earth movement, which saw its sort of rebirth, let's call it, in the internet age. So what I'm going to do right now is kind of talk to you about the historical flat earth movement, and that'll give us a place to sort of jump into who is believing it today, why they're believing it today, and what they believe. So the modern flat earth belief originates with an English writer named Samuel Robotham. He was born in 1816. He lived until 1884. A lot of what I'm going to talk about today comes from multiple sources. It's sort of multi-sourced. You'll also be able to find all of this on Wikipedia, but I went and I sort of cross-referenced it with a bunch of other legitimate sources, which I will sort of mention as we go through the podcast, but it's sort of a uh, an aggregation of a number of different sources, okay? So Samuel Robotham was a writer and he was a man who believed the earth was flat. He kind of had this notion and he decided he was going to try to prove it, okay? He's he's an Englishman and he decides to do an experiment which has since become known as the Bedford Level Experiment, okay? His Bedford Level Experiment leads to him publishing a pamphlet called Zetetic Astronomy and later that pamphlet becomes a book called Earth Not a Globe. He proposed that the earth was a flat disk centered in the middle at the North Pole and bounded along its southern edge by a wall of ice. For for anybody out there that has read the Discworld series, as soon as you said it's a disc, my first thought is a disc being held up by four elephants balancing on the back of a turtle shell flying through space. Like, <laughs> like I'm getting like a real Terry Pratchett vibe here. Well, I don't even... I'm. I mean, I'm just going to try to push through the basic description because every sentence I say is I'm struggling, but I'm going to do it, okay? So uh, it's bounded on its southern edge by a wall of ice, a little bit like the wall from Game of Thrones, okay? If you're imagining the imagery, the wall that Jon Snow mans when he takes the black and he goes to the wall, that's that's the imagery, that, the, that literally the edge of the earth is surrounded by a high wall of ice, okay? And that, is, that would be Antarctica in Robotham's theory. He further 
held that the sun and the moon were 3,000 miles or 4,800 kilometers above Earth, and that the cosmos, which was the stars, the moon, the sun, everything else, was 3,100 miles above the Earth. So yes, that giant, incredibly hot ball of gas that can burn your skin from how far away it really is, he believed it to literally be only 3,100 miles away or about the distance between the east and west coast. That's the basic premise he has, okay? That's his theory. He tests it by going to a river, the Bedford River in England, and he does an experiment because he contends that if the earth were only really as wide as we claim it to be on a, f- on a round surface, then at a certain distance, something far off should disappear below the curving horizon, okay? He goes into a river. He puts a boat with a flag about a certain distance away. It's a few miles. I think it's about six miles. I'll correct myself if as I'm reading through my notes, that's incorrect, but it's a certain distance away. That distance that he has decided would be where the earth would start to curve and the horizon would swallow up the image because it's on the other side of a curvature. And he can see the boat, And because he can see the boat, he then contends that there is, in fact, no curvature to the Earth. It is flat. The the heliocentricity of the Earth is a lie. And therefore, that's that's that. We've we've solved that the Earth is a flat disk shape because I can see a boat about six miles away. Now, we're going to get into the actual science of how easy that is to disprove in a second, okay? But that's just what he believes, okay? That because he can see a boat some miles down the river, it proves that there can't be a curvature because the earth would have started curving and I wouldn't be able to see the thing on the other side. If you're already struggling to follow Mr. Robotham, I think that's fair, okay? But we're going to just leave his claim and his book that he published as, as his sort of statement for right now, okay? That's the more, I guess what we would call the it's not ancient, but that's the old school flat earth movement, okay? It started by that guy, and he starts a society around the flat earth movement. He is, by the way, immediately called out by scientists of his day. We're going to talk about how they disprove him, okay? But that's his, that's his experiment, and that's his claim. The modern flat earth movement, in two parts, picks up in 1956 with Samuel Shenton, He creates the International Flat Earth Research Society. It was a successor to the Universal Zetetic Society, which Robotham had started. And it's uh, it's headed in Dover, England. A lot of this happens in England, which is interesting because I think Americans always think of the English as being smarter than us. You know, Cambridge and Oxford and Eton and their classic finishing schools and that high erudite society. Not that any of that isn't true. It's just interesting that the Flat Earth Society starts in England. Um, Just, I think, as an American, it's an interesting fact. I'm really glad that we can just say that that one doesn't belong to us. Correct. Though, Though, Bobby, we put a lot of blood in the water on this one, so we are not getting away clean. Okay. I think, actually, it would be fair to say the old school Flat Earth Society is an English problem, and the new one is an American problem. Uh. And the English-speaking world itself, what we arrogantly often refer to as the Western world with our, with our sort of you know eyebrows up in the air, as if that's somehow better, the Western world takes a full hit on the Flat Earth Society. It's, it's all of us. We'll even talk about Brazil. 
it literally is the Western world that we love to we love to sort of use that phrase to sort of denote a certain kind of person in a certain kind of world. That whole section of the world is really responsible for for this nonsense. That's like the two sections, right? Those those sort of more old school throwback versions of the flatter society. They pick up in the two thousands as the internet sort of starts to unite all of these disparate minds that are inclined towards conspiratorial thinking and toward other explanations. I think this is the politest way to describe them. YouTube has a lot to do with the Flat Earth Society's expansion because it has to do with the rabbit holes that the algorithm on YouTube has led people to. And so there's a lot of research being done and a lot of clarity coming to the fore about how people are led toward this kind of thinking. And it has to do with the fact that YouTube and Facebook and a lot of Instagram even too, they never want you to leave their site, right? Like the whole point of their model is to keep you scrolling to the next video, the next picture, the next article, the next post, because that's where they get you with ad dollars and with increased viewership. I mean, you can't leave their site in their eyes. They have to keep you there. Right, So everything about the engagement of it, the shorter videos, the auto-loading of the next video, the suggestion bar of videos of similar ilk that people who like this video also like this video, videos based on your previous viewing pattern, they all drive you toward these different ideas that are sort of lumped together as what we might call conspiracies. And by the way, we are absolutely pulling from that with this podcast, but we're pulling at it for a different reason. Rather than to convince you of these things, we're pulling at it to sort of poke them and go, is there anything there at all? If you can't tell by my attitude toward this one, (laughs) um, you should stay far away from it. And we're actually going to talk about even how to interact with people that believe in a flat earth because it can be really tricky. It is the, I think it's the litmus test for if you've gone over the edge. And I, I, I think it's occurring at an interesting time. That's good phrasing for someone that believes in a flat earth. (laughs) Going over the edge. It's, oh, there's another theory. We'll we'll get to it at a certain point where there is an infinite unending edge, which is like the version people choose when they know you could disprove them. So they come up with an infinite unending, almost dimension-like edge of the earth that goes on forever, which is Antarctica, which is also like... It's mind-numbing, the like the logistics of what they think Antarctica to be. Antarctica is kind of where everything lives and dies with the flat earth theory. Like you have to explain it somehow. And so it's often used in this very non-scientific way to be the place where my question of your bad theory is like put aside. So like it's always at the center or it's a giant ice wall that I would never be able to climb or navigate and can't likely see because I don't have the money to go down there and not freeze to death. And and then when you are like, hey, people have gone down there. We've had submarines and planes. There's a whole city down there. Like, you know, you can watch a documentary about how they feed people on Antarctica and like, and they'll be like, yeah, yeah, actually it just goes on forever. And you're like, wait, like science fiction? And they're like, yeah, it just goes on forever. So that's another of like the theories. That one kind of leads us into this thing of like, it's very hard to like argue with flat earthers because a lot of times what they'll say to you is, but have you seen it? Or, but do you know? Or have you tested it? 
And a lot of people, because they're just living their lives and trying to pay their rent, are like, no, I haven't had the the ability or the logistics to test the curvature of the earth. And they'll be like, but I have. And then they'll go through like these like science experiments that they've done that are like based in bad understanding of science, which is often where if you want to take them apart at the joints, you can, but you've got to know your science. You've got to know your physics. You've got to know your earth science. You have to know your math. It's... I'm going to jump back into it and sort of keep going through. But as I'm researching this, and by the way, the whole time, because this isn't a narrative one like we've done before, Bob, you just jump in when you've got, when you want to pop off on the, on the bad math and science of this, because it's not, there's, I'm not leading you toward anywhere. I already know where we're going. You want to, you want to hop in. You want to, you want to like get surgical with it. Like, please do. Cause I'm going to sort of just kind of lay it, lay it out as it comes up in my notes. If this is the one where people have video, you'll, you'll notice that we secretly do look at our notes, uh, on the podcast version, uh, but it's only for accuracy. So you're going to see me looking down and up and stuff, but jump in if you want at any point. Yeah, no, this is, this is a bad train wreck. I'm, I'm going to see where, where it leads. <laughs> oh, you're going to leave me. Hang- yeah. You're going to leave me hanging out in the wind. Yep. <laughs> Oh, you know what? Okay, that's fine. All right. Okay. All right. I'm going to jump back in then. By the way, I have like so many notes. It's not that I didn't prepare. It's that it's kind of hard to get into the mindset of these of this particular thought more than anything else because it is it's difficult. It's actually difficult. But I'm going to okay, I'm going to go to the Flat Earth Society's website, which is called Flat Earth Wiki. I don't want you to go there. I don't want you to go to their website. But if you should go there, I don't even want to give them clicks. I'm going to more talk to you about the website so that you don't have to go there because I really don't want anyone who's even inclined towards interesting conspiracy theories to end up there because I don't think it's a good place for you to be. Just stay with us. Stay with stay with stay with old Uncle Kyle and Uncle Bob. All right. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to talk to you about their website and I'm going to read to you their opening scroll. And it has a lot to do with the problem of this conspiracy theory and conspiracy theories in general, right? And again, we've said some things are possible. We've said very few of them happened. I want to just clarify that about us as you're like, you hypocrite. No, 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 no. (laughs) So this is their opening scroll, okay? Directly from their website. This website is dedicated to unraveling the true mysteries of the universe and demonstrating that the earth is flat and that round earth doctrine is little more than an elaborate hoax. The Flat Earth Society holds that there is a difference between believing and knowing. If you don't know something and cannot understand it by understand it by first principles, then you shouldn't believe it. We must, at the very least, know exactly how conclusions were made about the world and the strength and weaknesses behind those deductions. Our society emphasizes the demonstration and explanation of knowledge. Flat Earth theory has grown over the centuries like a wandering sojourner hungry for truth and eager for discovery. It's changed from the learned conjectures by our ancestors of antiquity to Victorian polymaths like Dr. Samuel Burley Robotham, and it even thrives today in a worldwide grassroots effort of scholarship. This wiki reflects these stages of flat earth theory by containing information and works from each era of humanity. As people walked through the ages collecting data and knowledge, the flat earth theory walked with them, growing wise and robust in kind. 
We, the editors of the FEW, hope that you find the truth and erudition of these works as so many before you have. Within these digital pages, you can expect to find the skepticism and understanding needed to break free from the constraints of conventional dogmatic thinking and brave the pioneering waters of true science and learning. More specifically, you will find flat earth proofs conducted by flat earthers across the world and flat earth concepts, terminology, and discourse. May the various flat earth evidence and flat earth maps guide your journeys to places wonderful and ideas formerly unfathomable. So if this doesn't end up being the first episode where we use video, I want to describe for the listening audience what my co-host, Mr. Bobby Anderson, is doing right now. About halfway through, out of the corner of my eye as I was reading, I saw his head drop. He took his glasses off. He's a, he's a, he's a bespectacled man. Bespectacled? I don't know. He took his glasses off, and he began pinching the bridge of his nose the way a father does when he finds out his son forgot to put gas in the car and then ran out of gas on the highway. <laughs> and now he has to go pick him up. You just look disappointed uh, in, I'm guessing, humanity. It's one of those things that just like, as you were reading it, it hurt. It hurt. I don't, I don't have a way to describe it, but it hurt. Yeah. It's painful to read. It's painful to consider the logistics of. One of the things that really jumps out at me and that I highlighted, it's, it's, <laughs> I made it bold in my notes. So you know I care. I'm going to highlight one section that I think if like our podcast had to have like a sort of like point to it, I think it would be this, right? It's also why we cite sources. <laughs> the Flat Earth Society holds that there is a difference between believing and knowing. If you don't know something and cannot understand it by first principles, then you shouldn't believe it. I think on its face, the concept they're describing is completely reasonable, right? What they're essentially saying is... You shouldn't just dogmatically accept what you're told. You should go and do the science. But to qu quote Hamlet, therein lies the rub. Is that if you don't know how to do the science, you're not going to get to the... There's a reason we don't turn to experts because they've been given this title of expert at birth. They're not, they're not like seers that, oh, we must turn to the experts for they have seen the knowledge. No, no. We call them experts because they have been trained from school, to practice, to, you know, the real world, how to do a particular task or science experiment or whatever it is. Now, individual experts can be wrong, right? There are individual experts that have different opinions, but that is also why you don't take the word of an individual expert as gospel. You look at the larger body of experts and say, what is the general consensus among them? Because you're you're now taking a poll of of knowledgeable people, right? There's a reason ask the audience is a thing in Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. You don't go up to a random audience member and say, "What do you think the answer is?" Because they probably won't know, and if they do know, you don't know. You don't have any confidence that they know. But there's a reason they show you a poll of the audience, right? Is that the better idea is generally more accepted? That becomes it's just the idea that I'm going to distrust someone with years of mathematical training, because I think I can do it better. Yeah. And, you know, I think I've often oscillated in my life, and I'll admit this, between feeling very proud that I have the education that I have, my family fought really hard to make sure that I got where I got. I was the first of my direct line to graduate from college. Um, my mom had a few years of college, and I was very proud of her for that, but she left college back in the 80s. That was a thing it wasn't so eye-rolled at. She left college to start a family. My father has worked his 
butt off his whole life to give me and my sister, who also is a college graduate, uh, the chance to move out of our station life, right? And I oscillate between immense pride in that and sometimes feeling a little bit like a sucker because I was a millennial who had to take out massive student loans because I wasn't from the tier in life where there was this massive college fund. My parents, they put food on the table, they put clean clothes on our back, they put pride in our hearts, and they they gave us what we needed to get the next rung up. But that, because of the era I was born in, also came with an immense financial burden And there was no other way to do it than that. And there are times where I oscillate between pride in the things I push through to get there and then sometimes feeling a little bit like a sucker because I wonder, could I have just made my way in this world without this education? To be clear, I often land on the pride side. (laughs) It's only when I look at um, certain (laughs) bank account statements that I think, was I nuts? But I'm not ashamed of learning and I'm not ashamed of bowing my head at the altar of knowledge and admitting when I don't know something. And while you might hear me say, hmm, that's interesting, that's possible, I think I often will turn toward the experts because while I do have a healthy skepticism and I do have a healthy American distrust of authority, I also I also trust that, that most people are decent and that most scientists have worked their ass off to get where they are out of a deep, deep desire to participate in the human book of life, um, that, that they want to write another sentence in this beautiful story of learning who we are and what we're made of. And just because you can't understand all of the sentences in that book doesn't mean the book is lying to you, okay? I want to, if there's any flat earthers out there that are listening that have made this far, my guess is you probably bailed on us because we've been laughing at you. But if even in anger, you've stayed with us, or if you happen to be related to people that are flat earthers, I want you to take a second. Don't get angry at me as I say this, but I'm going to ask you seriously, how good were you in physics class? And did you get to physics? Did you get that far? And I don't mean that to take a shot at you and stab you in the eye, because you know what? I didn't either. I was a lit kid. And there's a comment on our Apple podcast where someone took a a loving shot at me and said, this must be a lit major. You're right. I was a history major and an MFA in theater. I wasn't a math and science expert. My best friend is. I wasn't. My, it wasn't. I was terrible at math. I tried, I tried so hard and I was all right. I was okay at it. I was great at something else. And so life led me down that path. But I want you to ask yourself, do you actually have the wherewithal, the true skill set to go out and observably conduct genuine research about the, the, the curvature of the earth. Is a YouTube video or this podcast actually going to change anyone's mind? Probably not. But I want you to be honest with yourself because there are people smarter than you in certain areas. It doesn't mean you're dumb. I don't think you're dumb. I don't think I'm dumb. I know some things. We all know some things. That's what society is. That's what a culture is. We throw our hands in and we do what we can. You might be great at something I'm terrible at. That's a town. That's a city. We all do something. Stop making the people that are good at physics and math have to prove to you something you can't even understand. Like, stop for a second and ask yourself that and know the answer quietly. I'm not asking you to to out yourself. I'm just asking you as we move through this podcast and move through these topics, are you even able to actually break it down? Because I'm going to tell you right now, I need my best friend to, to work through this with me. Okay? When it's the history episode, I got him. I got him knocked out cold. I got him knocked out cold. There's a reason the alien episode is people's favorite. It's because I'm laughing at myself as I'm doing it. I'm admitting I don't really understand this, but I'm trying really hard and I'm going with the experts. 
I think people want to think they've been lied to about everything because some, some things are a raw deal in life. I don't think that science is a lie. It's one of the reasons the JFK theory I put forward is the most plausible to me because a lot of people have looked at it and gone, oh, well, science is a little bit better than the other one. So I said, it's my holding hypothesis until someone blows it out of the water. With the flat earth theory, it's never, ever testable or provable by anybody with any real credible science background, okay? Taking a, a ruler, taking a, 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 a level on a plane and not seeing the little bubble slide to the side is not proof that the earth is flat. It's proof that you don't understand how planes level as they fly. It's proof that you don't understand how a plane works. That, that's, that's actually the problem is that you don't understand aviation. And so you've taken a, a level that you bought at Home Depot and you've brought it onto a thing you don't understand, a giant engine of industry, one of the great marvels of our infantile species. And with no understanding of that, you have, what, proven proven that the earth is flat? Because because the, the level you bought at Home Depot didn't tilt, so you got everybody? You'll And this is what I talked about a little while ago, that you'll sometimes run into flat earthers who will throw you questions. They're often very prepared for your skepticism. And if you aren't yourself a science sort of person, you will run into moments where they think they've got you and you might think they've got you too because you don't actually have the vocabulary to battle them. Here's the thing. Even if you did, it wouldn't work because they're not looking for observable proof. They've, they've arrived at this conclusion well before whatever evidence they've amassed. They're, they're just trying to put together any cobble of thoughts that they can and they're very good with with the sort of firing off of them, right? They'll ask you a bunch of questions you may have never considered. I want you to know that not having considered it doesn't mean that the earth is flat, you know? You might throw them something like, well, when you look up and you see that the sun is round, doesn't that kind of lead you to understand that most celestial bodies are round? All, by the way. I said most, it's all. Like, the moon is round. Why wouldn't the earth be round? They're going to have some conceptual argument for that. It might start to break into deeper conspiracies like we're in a dome. That's a projection. That's a model. That might start to boggle your mind. You might actually start to get confused by having to keep up with all of the like ridiculous thoughts that like you're you're like, what? I'm in a dome? By the way, yes, if you ever talk to a flat earther, you might find out they think we're in a Truman Show-like dome. Already, there may be questions coming up in your mind where you're like, well, wait, what? <laughs> so... So this is the thing like I'm going to I'm actually going to take a little I'm going to take a little detour into religious talk Bob because because religion has a strange connection to this but then I'm going to actually show you how one of the more um I'll use the word fundamentalist because I don't want to be insulting of people's religions but there's actually one of the more fundamentalist Christian sects actually has a whole section of its website where they tell you the earth is not flat. So that should lead you to believe that there is no real proof in the Bible the earth is flat. So Samuel Robotham, who we talked about, he was a he was largely inspired by Christianity. Okay. He was a he was a he was a devout Christian. And a lot of what people who believe in the flat earth will point to is that the Bible has phrases like corners of the world. Or at some point in uh, the New Testament, the devil takes Christ up to a high mountain where he can see all of the kingdoms of the world splayed out before him, which 
if you read it in a literalist sense, would make you think that the earth were flat, right? Because you can't see the corners of the world or all of the kingdoms if there was a sphere. The Jehovah's Witness website, and again, I am not here to disparage any religion, so I describe them as fundamentalists. I think they'd be fair with that description, okay? They're, they're um, pretty hardline in their uh, devotion to their philosophies and their, and their religion. They're very strict. Again, I don't think a word they would even bristle at. Even they have a section of their website to help dissuade their own followers from believing the earth is flat. I'm going to say that again with no laughing or joking at them. The Jehovah's Witnesses are trying to convince you the earth isn't flat and actually have to talk about the biblical passages and how they are um, allegorical, right? A huge piece of understanding the Bible is understanding when literalism is not at play. And all the major religions that pull off of the Judeo-Christian Bible will admit to you that not every single word is meant to be taken literally. Some are imagined ideas to inspire faith. Again, go and believe whatever you want. This isn't a religion podcast. But even the Jehovah's Witnesses are like, guys, take it easy, okay? Yeah. You, you talked about it pretty succinctly there. Science is a tool. Just like any other tool, if you hand some people a socket wrench, they're going to be like, how does this work? What what do you want me to do with this? I don't know how to use this tool. You know what I mean? If you hand people a complicated instrument, they may not know how to use it. They may not know how to read it. They may not know what it even is supposed to do. If that person then takes a socket wrench, turns it around and starts hammering a nail with it, and it kind of like the nail bends and it like kind of flattens into the board a little bit and they're like, oh, this must be a hammer. And you're, you're trying to wield something that you don't really truly know what its purpose even is. And you're just applying it to something that you think and that you, you know, your everyday experience. And that's not, it's, it's not always how it works, right? We've, science has moved, ironically, science has moved very far past the easily observable. The beginning of science was about the easily observable. And we started finding out some really weird shit. And we started finding out there was a lot of weird shit that doesn't at first glance make sense. And so this idea, it's, I I don't mean to laugh at flat earthers, right? I know we kind of did in the beginning. I don't mean to laugh at them because in a sense, their healthy skepticism is not a bad thing, right? Always going into something and being like, what are the whys? What are the hows? Can you explain it to me? But it's different when you've closed your mind off to the answers. Great. So well said. That's where I start to to distance from you, is if I go into a situation with healthy skepticism, and I'm asking the whys and the hows, and you start explaining it to me, if I don't understand it, my gut reaction isn't going to be to call you a liar. Yep. My gut reaction isn't going to be to say, well, that mustn't be true because I don't understand. It might take years of work, and maybe I'm not willing to put in those years of work, but then I'm not going to make that a pillar of my belief system if I'm not willing to put in the... like. Right. It's and that's why they're always going to beat you in that conversation is because for very few people in the world have put in years of work to make the fact that the earth is round some pillar of their identity whereas for the flat earther that is a pillar of their identity. And so they've surrounded themselves with these arguments and they're not good arguments, but they're the arguments that they understand and so they're just using the arguments that they understand and it's not it's not a healthy discourse. There's um, there's a reason why I sort of reference the Jehovah's Witnesses um, in sort of branching into religion a little bit. Uh, it's to talk about the uh, effect that fundamentalist religion has had on the Flat Earth movement over the last 20 to 25 years. I'm going to talk a little bit about Brazil now. Um, I want people to really hear what we're saying versus 
trying to take and parse out what we're saying and and make another meaning out of it. Okay. So when I talk about specific groups, I'm not talking about a whole group. Okay. And uh, 7% of Brazilians currently, based on a recent um, series of polls, believe in the flat earth. That's 11 million people. Uh, I, I, I wasn't able to find exact statistics about how many Americans. So that's when I'm bringing up Brazilians is because it's a statistic that's shared widely in a number of publications about flat earth. They kind of reference this because there's a documentary on YouTube where you can see that. So I'm not trying to say like, oh, Brazilians are the problem. That's that's not it at all. Okay. Americans are largely driving this. So just want to make that clear. But it's a statistic that's out there that gives us an idea of a, of a big country, right? A country that has varying levels of sort of uh, poverty and economic success. Some of the, you know, areas doing well, some are not. It's a big country, very vast, and deserves its own podcast in terms of delving into the specifics of it, right? Um, but it's, it's an example of a big country with a lot of people and how a lot of them believe this thing. And it's largely driven by fundamentalist evangelical Christianity, which is massively on the rise in Brazil. This idea of believing the Bible is word-for-word doctrine, right? Like, it to believe it exactly, everything that's written in it is exactly how it's supposed to be read. A literalist take on a thousands-year-old collection of writings by many different authors— of unnamed origin, written between five and 2,000 years ago, right? And cobbled together through a bunch of various political agreements, like Council of Nicaea and all this different stuff. The stuff that's in the Bible is it's a historical document, it's a political document, it's a literary document. It is not, to be clear, a textbook, a science. It, it is not, I'm sorry. And by the way, I want to be really clear. I'll just tell you who I am because I've been talking about other people's religion. I'm a Catholic. I was raised Catholic. Okay. I think I'd be described fairly as a fallen Catholic. I'm not telling you that the Bible isn't true. That's not my job. And I don't know the answer to that. And I'll be fair about that. I don't know what's up there or what's not. And fair, fair game to you for your beliefs. But I can tell you the Bible is not a science textbook. That I am sure of. And that I will, so to speak, die on the hill of. I'll say that right to a Catholic priest, okay? I'll tell you. It's it's a lot of things, and it may very well for you be the guiding light of your life. And, and God bless, unironically, God bless you. But it's not a science textbook. And using it to define the narrative of your science understanding is, I believe, a flawed path. But it is the path many people in this modern world are choosing, and it is growing in popularity because of the accessibility of bad documentaries and bad science. And so people look at the Bible and say, corners of the world, see everything all at once. And then they go, oh, well, well, here's here's the proof I need, right? God wrote this. God wouldn't have written the wrong thing. Take a step back, okay? And ask yourself, honestly, if 5,000 years ago, potentially, or 2,000 for the New Testament, years ago, somebody had the kind of scientific understanding to make that claim, and if they were even making that claim in their allegorical, literal phrasing, right? They're like their choice of literary phrasing, which has been translated through about five different languages by this point, by the way, Aramaic to Greek to Latin to then whatever language you read. So like, you know, take a step back. If you're, if that's where you're going with it, all right, um, and just you know, realize that a lot of these people that are believing this are getting this from from their church, which I think is an important point to make. Something, something that you had said about being two thousand years ago, five thousand years ago. I, I want people listening, and some, and a lot of them might even know this, 
right? This isn't like some obscure fact is that this was known that there were experiments done in 240 BC. And I just looked up the date because as soon as you said 2000, 5,000 years ago. Right. And I was going to talk about the ancient world in a minute, but please go. I want you to. So 240 BC, there was already an experiment done that showed the degrees of curvature of the earth. They used it to actually measure a given estimate about how big the earth was. And they were pretty close. Like that's why people make fun of Columbus because Columbus was kind of a dummy in that he thought the world was a lot smaller than it was. And you know what's interesting? He didn't even think it was flat. Right. He just thought it was small. Exactly. Yes. Well, you see, because you're so you're so smart. That was my history major trying to jump in and be like, that's the one thing I know about that. Right. He just he didn't expect there to be a continent there. He thought the world was smaller and that he'd be able to make the trip. It wasn't that people didn't think that you could do it. They thought it was so large that you you wouldn't survive the trip. So right. in 240 BC, they did uh, they did angle measurements of shadows in two geographic locations. I forget where it was. Uh, Alexandria to Sinai. And he was able to use the angles and the shadows that he calculated. And he came up with a, a an angle of degrees, about 7.2 degrees or one fiftieth of a complete circle. And he realized that if he knew the distance to travel from place to place, and he knew that it was one fiftieth of a circle, he could then extrapolate the full size. And he did, and he came pretty darn close. Like, so this is not, this, this level of science is not, and that's another reason why you can say, okay, it's fine that you don't understand it, but we're not talking about, you know, quantum physics here. If you want to get into it with quantum physics and about how a lot of stuff in quantum physics is really weird and you don't necessarily believe all of it and you don't know what to think of it, I'll have that argument with you because it is really weird. Einstein was like, ah, I don't fuck with that, man. Like, you're starting to talk about stuff that I don't fuck with. Right. Okay, if one of the smartest men to ever live says that he doesn't fuck with it, then I'm I'm fine with saying, you know what? Let's let that one kind of roll itself out for a little bit before we start coming to exact, you know, conclusions. But this is something that, you know, 240 BC, like you're talking over 2000 years ago now. And I really appreciate the clarification because, and I wasn't trying to say that ancient people didn't understand it. I was trying to say the ancient people that wrote those texts may not have likely been themselves. Right. Knowledge wasn't easy to spread and it wasn't available to everybody. And yeah. Right. Exactly. And so it's good that you made that clarification because I might've like sort of left that out. And I really appreciate you pointing out there were, there are ancient people. And by the way, in multiple societies, in multiple Many different areas were doing these observable tests. Asia, there was observable testing done in what is now called Iran, but was for thousands and thousands of years Persia, right? And our constant denigration of the Iranian slash Persian people is a constant source of pain for me as a history major because Persia is like the seat of so much great ancient knowledge, math and science and literature and poetry. I mean, the way we we sort of denigrate this amazing group of people in the West because they don't politically align with what we want. It's like heartbreaking because like almost everything where you're like, where did they find that? It's almost always the answer is like, oh, it was Persia. This testing was done, like you said, Alexandria. So that's Africa, another uh, continent we don't celebrate nearly enough in the West for how much it has to do with what we know. Um, they've learned things that we've forgotten, had to relearn and pretended we learned it first. You know, they knew it so long, they forgot they knew it. And then we learned it and went, hey, look what we found. And the Africans are like, yeah, we found that like 10,000 years ago. Cool. Good job, bud. Um, but you know, it's well said by you that this is 
this observable testing has been done for literally thousands of years. And even Columbus, and I don't say his name with any celebration or pride, I'm on board with that guy was a dirtbag. Okay? He was. His contribution to human history, if you look up Neil deGrasse Tyson, is while he cr- he commits genuine horrors, he does reunite branches of the human species. You should look up Neil deGrasse Tyson's breaking down of it. Not a celebration of Columbus, not a celebration, but what he does is unite branches that were Asiatic in bloodline with European and African sort of brings us back together as a human species, whatever. Not that it happened in a good way. But he wasn't trying... We, we always throw that false narrative. He was trying to prove the Earth is a globe. And there's a movie with Gerard Depardieu where he bites an apple. He's playing Columbus and he looks at it and goes, hmm, as if like that's his eureka moment. Columbus never had a eureka moment. He wasn't a eureka guy. He wasn't trying to prove that. That was known. That was a known fact throughout the world by that point. The Earth is a globe. There was no... There was no send them out and prove it. They were, like you said, trying to quit, find quick spice routes uh, to the east. That was what they were trying to do. Um, it's always about the dollar in the end. But anyway, the ancients, they knew this, okay? And a lot of their testing, which people might point to, there's a there was, I think it's a French, I, I'm going to say French, but it might have been Italian, okay? It's a French or Italian scientist that came up with this this really cool like uh, like weighted level, okay? And I was looking it up yesterday. I'm blanking on it a little bit in terms of it, but I'm going to describe it. Essentially, it hangs in a in a in a very long chamber, right? Like a tall chamber. It hangs, and based on how it's weighted, it slightly moves throughout the day, right? Because it's perfectly balanced, and in such a way, slightly moves and actually proves, based on the physics of it, that the Earth is slightly turning at all times, right? Uh, which is evidence of the earth being round and turning all the time. Flat earthers will say that there's actually magnets in the floor of places where that experiment is carried out that are making it so that the thing turns, right? So there's like always an, ex- like, that's the thing about evidence with this theory. It's it's useless because you try to throw it at it and it's like, oh, whoa, well, there's magnets. Okay, well, where are the magnets? I don't know. I can't see them, but they got to be there. Okay, why? Because it works? Because it's testable and provable and, and you know, kind of blows your theory out of the water? So what we're going to do now is we're going to move to a really quick, because we're rounding to the end of our story here, we're going to move to a quick breakdown of how you were able to disprove Samuel Robotham's test on the Bedford River, right? So that was at the beginning of our thing. We talked about this test of I'm on a river. I send a boat down the river with a flag on it. If the earth curves at a certain point six miles from here, I shouldn't be able to see the boat because he's tested the distance and six miles should be about where the curve is so much that I can't see over it. And he tested it, could see the boat, proves it's flat, right? Publishes a book, publishes a pamphlet, thinks he's the smartest guy on earth. He was immediately challenged in his day by a number of scientists and they actually took up a bet, which is the most English thing ever, right? Like as they're writing between each other and taking shots at each other in the press, you get shades of Hamilton, right? Where they're like using the press to be like, hey, I challenge you to a bet. I bet I can disprove your stupid bad science that you don't even understand because I do. So here I come. So by the way, it is disproven. Okay, And it's disproven through something called refraction. So I'm going to read the exact description of how refraction explains at some points the lack of apparent curvature of the earth. Okay, So follow along if you can, everybody, because of the two hosts of this podcast, only one will be able to understand what is read. But I want you to follow along. Okay, Atmospheric refraction can produce the results noted by Robotham and Blount. So those are the people that said they had proved the earth was flat. Okay. Because the density of the air in the Earth's atmosphere decreases with height above the Earth's surface, 
all light rays traveling nearly horizontally bend downward, so that the line of sight is a curve. This phenomenon is routinely accounted for leveling in celestial navigation. Again, are you a celestial navigator? Are you a, an, a pilot that has to try to find the horizon in a plane? I'm going to make it I'm going to make it real simple for you. Take a glass of water, put a spoon in the water. When you see how the the spoon looks like it's it as it enters the water and then all of a sudden it it becomes jagged and goes somewhere else. That's the refraction. The water is a is a much denser medium to bend the light. And so it makes the illusion that the spoon has somehow like shifted its even though it enters here, it looks like it's like a split spoon. It's not. The light is just bending so hard that you're that it looks like that. So what they're saying is through the air, it's a much more gentle curve than through the water with this like really, you know, jagged, like jumps out at you illusion. I love you, man. <laughs> I love you. If anyone's wondering, that's our friendship. The last 30 seconds, Kyle says something he kind of understands, and then Bobby deeply understands it and explains a science experiment Kyle could do if he'd like when he gets home so that he can better understand the observable world around him. Uh, that was roughly what most of our barroom conversations were like. That's why this podcast exists, because literally I would just garble something out of my mouth and Bobby would look at everybody and go, okay, so here's how you're going to test that when you get home, because this jackass is talking out of the side of his face. And so here's the test, right? Literally, math teacher that just fired off how you can go home and prove uh, refraction of light. So essentially, that's what it is, right? That that through temperature and a bunch of different things about the atmosphere, there can be refraction of the image, and it can actually mimic the curvature of the Earth and then flatten it out. It's almost like it's sort of competing with it. And when they level out at the same, roughly the same sort of uh, level, the curvature is almost flattened, and the horizon becomes more observable, even though that thing is actually farther away. It is behind the, the curvature of the earth. You would be able to see less of it or at a certain distance, none of it. But the air and the light are being refracted based on temperature, and you're actually getting a mirage. You are not actually seeing the buildings. You are seeing a, reflect, a refracted mirage of the buildings. You're seeing a lie, a trick of light and sun and heat. That's it. But... If you don't understand science, you won't be able to understand light refraction. You won't even know that's a thing. And so you'll look at buildings and go, God, those buildings are 20 miles away. The earth should have curved by now. No, you're seeing an image cast through all these different scientific processes that you don't understand. So back in Samuel Robotham's day, a bunch of scientists go out onto the river and they literally prove it through different testings at different times different light intensities, different heat intensities. It's proven that at six miles away, less and more is observable based on the atmospheric conditions. This is why at certain points of the day, when the sun is dipping or rising, certain things are more visible across long distances. Okay, Bobby just gave you another way to test it, which is the spoon in the water, which I think you mentioned to me a long time ago in a bar, which is why I laughed at the bar thing. I think it somehow came up at some point in the long course of you having to try to <laughs> correct all the things I don't understand. But that's that's basically how you can disprove a, a very basic misconception of the flatness of the earth. And so your I understand refraction and I understand your explanation now that you've you've said, hey, this is what was happening. Oh, okay. I know enough about refraction to know that how that would make sense. But if you had asked me to explain it, I know what refraction is. It never even occurred to me to think about refraction in relation to the curvature of the earth and how you can, it allows you to see things that are further away. Like that, and I, and I know about refraction. 
let alone somebody who doesn't, right? Somebody who has no idea that this is even like a thing that they need to look at. Right. Me as a non-expert, I am not a scientist in that sense. I'm a mathematician. It wouldn't have even occurred to me like, oh, okay, well, here's the real explanation. Like, no, now that you explain it, I know enough that I understand it and I can see what they're saying and I don't necessarily know all the math behind it and I don't know everything about it, but it's an explanation that makes sense to me. And again, I'm totally confessing I'm not a scientific expert. I'm reading it for the benefit of the audience, but one person who does understand it just re-explained it to you three different times. He's sitting here with me and there are a million, there are more than a million people on this earth that do basically understand what I just read, okay? So it's essentially that the curvature of the earth is matched by the mirage. Think of it this way, you're seeing it but if you were to try to draw a straight line from you to it, you couldn't. If we go back to like the JFK episode, if you had a magic bullet, right? That when you shot it, traveled perfectly straight, perfectly true, didn't dip, the wind couldn't change it, right? Think of it like a like a like a pinpoint beam, right? Like you you shoot it and it just travels straight no matter what. And you were to aim it at that, at that boat, and shoot, even if it looks like you hit it, right? Even if you're like, oh, I'm aiming right at the crosshair, boom. When you got to the boat, there would be no bullet hole because you shot the image of it. You you shot the image that the light was sending you as opposed to the actual object itself. That's actually a great callback to to Kennedy because actually one of the groups that has to account for the curvature of the earth are snipers. <laughs> they have to account for heat. They have to account for density of air. There's, there's scientists with those guns. That's why I said in the episode, I said even a bad marine trained sniper, and there aren't really bad ones, but even one that wasn't at the top of the class is still really good. That's what I was trying to make the point that like Oswald was actually pretty good, even though he wasn't very good in his marine sniper training because even to be kind of crappy at that you're pretty great but those guys and and women that make the shots the women and men that do that work they have to account for all of this physics all of this uh atmospheric conditions because what they're seeing might not be where they're shooting if they don't understand how the light the air the temperature the distance the curvature of the earth are affecting what they're seeing so that's another group that kind of proves through the work they have to do in order to get a, a level shot that there isn't actually a flat surface. It's a curved surface that has to be adjusted for based on every distance further out you get. So it's fun that we like a couple episodes later call back to Kennedy and and snipers needing to account for that stuff and the math involved in shooting a gun. So I'm going to do a little uh, a little conclusion, okay? And then I'm going to ask you if it's possible. I've kind of said some of a little of what I'm going to say in the conclusion already, but I'm just going to sort of read it out. Understanding our natural world takes time. It takes years of study. Physics, math, natural law, all of these things are built on the backs of people who came before. The observable and the nearly unobservable have been tested the world over. The ancients in every corner of the globe established the curvature of the earth, the basic principles of which allowed them to navigate the seas and allowed us to navigate the skies and even space. Understanding everything our forebears learned would take a lifetime if you could even do it. It's a daunting task. Even if you try, you might never grasp certain parts of it, but that doesn't mean that other people haven't grasped it. Our collective human story is lived in short bursts of sentences that all add up to the paragraphs and the chapters of the Book of Life. Cynically disavowing what was written before you just because you can't understand it risks the fate of the sentences and the chapters to come. Healthy skepticism is good. So is admitting when you simply aren't as smart as the scientists at NASA. Celebrate science. Celebrate people brave enough to spend their life trying to figure out something that most of us can't even begin to imagine. They are, in fact, the best of us. 
And if we stand any chance of surviving as a species, it is because of them. They remain our greatest hope. And to the scientists, I say, paraspera ad astra, through hardship to the stars. If you find your work questioned by those who can't even understand it, keep going, because you're saving all of us one little observable test at a time. We make this podcast for fun, to poke each other's buttons, to talk about weird topics. But I, I think both of us always fall on the side of science. Even if we may err on its facts every now and then, uh, we do so with the best of intentions. And it was really hard for me to research this topic. I know I was a little preachy, and anyone who felt preached to, I apologize. But uh, I I loved, I know I said I was an earthbound fellow in one point in an old episode. Someone said, that they sent that phrase to me and said, that was a really funny way to describe yourself. I actually wasn't as a kid. I loved space. I loved science. I shared it with my grandfather who passed away when I was really young. I think these people are so wonderful. The people that are trying to reach the stars to try to do these amazing things, that try to help us understand our world when we can't understand it. And uh, if I got preachy, it's only because I just, um, I'm just, I'm marveled by them sometimes. And I, I don't think their work should be maligned or thrown out. And if you are a flat earther and you made it this far, and I got to think you bailed on us, but if you made it this far, take stock, I think. I try to, with every episode we do, of what I do and don't know. I think this is a turnback moment because I actually think this is a part of a really large problem. And we keep encountering it with, with conspiracy theories, and we confront it, you and I, Bobby, whenever we can. We're like, is this bad? Is this good? There are episodes we've recorded that we haven't released because we don't think that they're for the public good. And even, it doesn't matter how many people listen. When you put it out there, it should be for the right reasons. And we've both looked at each other and said, yeah, that, that episode doesn't need to be out right now because it's not going to help anybody. If this can help anybody, it's to say, seriously, stop and ask yourself, why are we denigrating experts all the time? Why are we always destroying science? Why are we always pissing in the Cheerios of the people that have spent their life trying to create cures to keep you alive and ways to keep this planet from falling apart? Why are we always trying to destroy them? It's because ignorance makes you easier to control. So if you are conspiratorial, there's my little breadcrumb trail for you. I think the people that don't want you to believe in these things, they want to keep you dumb. So I say choose the scientists and not the politicians that are telling you <laughs> that, that science is wrong. I think you should choose the scientists that are actually trying to free you and liberate you. There's my preachiness is over, Bobby. So now I'm going to ask you a question to which, as Magneto said, you already know the answer. Bobby, is it possible that the earth is flat? Well, Kyle, um, you know, the thing that really would have swayed me is if you could have introduced maybe like a prominent figure, like an athlete. Oh, I left him out. Uh, no, it's too late now. It's too late now that the episode's over. Uh, so I'm going to have to say, no, it's not possible. I mean, I think you did a really good job of, even though the, the value of this episode is not in the suspense of, is it possible or not? The value of this episode is similar to the value of the episode we had where we talked about conspiracy theories in general, right? Like how they, how they spread, how to talk to loved ones that have them, what their mindset is, right? Where we kind of did a deep dive on what, what the whole conspiracy theory thing is. I think this has a very similar value in terms of listening value to that. So kudos to you for turning a, a what some would call a, uh, a valueless topic into something worth, worth talking about. Yeah, I mean, I'd hinted at it. We've had some actually, we had comments on some of our Apple podcast comments and different things and some messages about like, oh, my family believes in this theory. I'm looking forward to an episode about that. There's a there's an Apple comment about it. And then there was multiple messages, private messages on Instagram about people being like, I can't wait to get to this episode because my family member believes this and I don't know how to talk to them about it. And that was actually why I changed directions and 
in my research and was like, you know, let's just like talk about this rather than talk about the possibility of it. And I, and I, I actually don't have a ton of advice other than the stuff we've already said about how to talk to people who believe this, because I'm actually going to say something really interesting. I don't know that there's much I'm pausing. I'm not pausing for dramatic effect. I'm pausing because this is actually where I sort of, my bandwidth runs out. I don't know that it's your job as a family member to pull your family back from a bad idea. But if you are loving enough to want to do it, I think the way you confront this is not to try to argue every scientific point because I don't think that's at the root of the problem. I don't, I don't think, and if it's at the root of the problem, it's simply a misunderstanding of the science, which you're not going to be able to solve. I don't think you're going to be able to sit down with physics textbook grade five and move all the way through to to a bachelor's in physics with them at the dinner table and get them to understand light refraction or, you know, earth science or whatever. I think it's more about who they are, how they feel about themselves in the world, how they maybe feel pinned down by the forces at play and how choosing a healthy skepticism gets lost and ends up conspiratorial because it feels like you are figuring out the puzzle of your life and you're ahead of the game. And so if you've got people that are are bent towards these thoughts over and over and over again, I think you may be looking at somebody who you need to confront in a less aggressive way and a more loving way about trying to find a way back to the light of sort of reasonable thinking. So I don't know that we can help those people that are like, oh, I can't wait to listen to this episode. Like maybe I'll bring it to my family and be like, I don't think they're going to listen to me and believe me. I have no delusions about changing flat earthers minds on this episode, though I might have tried. I don't know that I, I can, you know, um, so I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure what they should do, Bobby. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think these kinds of ideas are built up over time. Like you said, you fall down a rabbit hole and you, it builds and builds and builds. I don't think it can be undone with one quick witty fact or remark. You know what I mean? Like you can't, right. You can't destroy. It's very hard to destroy someone's pillar of identity with, with a couple of quick science facts, right? Like that's a, that's, that's a long cord. That's very tangled. That has to be unraveled very slowly. So, yeah, that's, I mean, where I mean, it's possible folks. If you've already found us, please like us, rate us, subscribe, uh, send us a comment, send us an email, possiblepod at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram. Send us a message. People have been shouting out uh, fun episodes they love. Some some people have been sending memes and some fun things that they've seen about episodes. Uh, that was really cool. Someone said it's a Loch Ness meme. So shout out to those people. Thank you for your interactions. They mean the world to us. If you do like the episode, when people always say rate and subscribe, it actually does mean a ton because it kicks us up higher in people's uh, search algorithms, uh, as we talked about algorithms today, right? So uh, if you like it, give us five stars. Five stars is hugely important to us. And then subscribe and leave us a comment. Tell us what you liked. Even disagree with us. It helps us figure out who you are. Even if it doesn't change our own our own minds, like we may not have changed yours, it does help us figure out who's listening. And the truth is never a bad thing. So if you dig it, dig it. And if you didn't, we can handle it. We'll be all right. Uh, and look out for merch sometime, hopefully in the next couple months. <laughs> it still blows my mind. God. Okay. Right? All right. That's where we're going to leave it because Bobby's like, what the? What the? They want merch? That's harder for me to believe than the flat earth theory is that somebody out there wants wants a meat on the bone sticker. Not one person, not one person, multiple people. Okay. Bob, let's just say we've had, we've had exponential growth this year. Okay. We really have our podcast started. I'm all here's what I'm going to say. I'm not going to give you all the numbers, but I'm going to say it's grown tenfold in less than a year. That's actually, that's pretty cool. So anyway, 
Thank you, everybody. Share us with uh, your crazy uncle who believes the earth is flat and then let him yell at you. Um, Bobby, I took an L, but uh, it's okay. It was it was a good it was a good L. It was the right thing to do. It feels it feels like a good L. Yeah. Yeah, it was the it was the it was the loss that should have happened. So until next time, when you will take up when you will take up the reins and lead us bravely into another adventure. I'll see you, man. Signing out. <laughs>